This is Truth Be Told. This is a, a special edition. Uh, Dr. Horton's back. Uh, yes, sir. We, I think the last uh, last episode, if you guys were listening, we we actually gave you a little shout out because you wrote an article for uh, Dental Town. Yes. You know, so so we were we were, we were proud because oh, you know you're you. you're an alum to this uh, podcast, <laughs> so we said why not? You know, give you a shout out. Uh, but I got a chance to read the article. I you know you and I just talked prior to recording this, but. It's it's common sense and basic to us now because we went through the whole three year perio program. Um, but I love the way you wrote it because it made it make sense on a very just even level without having to read like you know twenty classic lit articles, twenty <laughs> you know uh, modern peri implantitis articles. You see, right. you basically just summed it up. So I was saying that you know you basically summed up her first year really well in this article uh and so i wanted to bring you on and just for you to just basically tell us why you wrote it and break it down so that our listeners if they don't want to read it this could be an audio audio uh audio version right yeah (laughs) the audio (laughs) journal you know what i mean so 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 please let us let us start from the beginning why you decided to write this yeah yeah well thanks for having me on man i love coming on the show um anytime i've written articles uh, ever since i think that was my fourth one for dental town Really, I try to take current events from my life and uh, put it into words, right? And so one of the things I had been experiencing lately was uh, several docs that I've, you know, either mentored or taught over the years still send me cases, you know, what do you think about this? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And, you know, I used to do this before, but probably even more so now after, you know, one year of perio, it's, I always, instead of looking at the empty space first, I always look around it, Right. Uh, what do the surrounding teeth look like? What does surrounding bone look like? Um, you know, from whatever limited information I can get from either a panoramic or a bite wing or a CBCT is what does the occlusion look like? Um, and then I start asking questions, right? I say, you know, does the patient have any health problems? Well, do you know why they lost the tooth? Because there's all these things that kind of give us, uh, you know, I call it, I think I mentioned in the article of being the actuary for the implant. Right. Um, Because there's a reason this patient lost this tooth. Mm -hmm. And that means this particular site in this particular mouth is already at high risk. If you're missing a tooth, you're automatically considered high risk. Right. Right. Loosely speaking. Right. Um, And so when I would ask these questions, often uh, some of these these GPs don't know, uh, don't have the answer readily available. Right. And so that that's part of the motivation from one side, from the other side being in perio, uh, for better or worse, I'm around a lot of periodontists who, especially in academia, can have a certain amount of uh, ego and hubris. And when they- (laughs) What? (laughs) What? (laughs) Not us. Do tell, really? (laughs) Not us. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think I've been getting frustrated lately because there's been a lot of commentary about general dentists and I'm, you know, I've been a general dentist 15 years and it's, I'm defensive of my brethren, right? Um, because some of the greatest implant doctors or surgeons I know are, are general dentists, right? Um, but I can see where there leaves a lot of room for someone that is a specialist to have to go back and repair Right. Because uh, a periodontist doesn't see the good work a general dentist has done. That's not what's getting referred to you. You're getting referred 
the stuff you got to clean up. Right. And in what I've seen from over the years, the stuff that needs to get cleaned up is usually done in the most high risk situations. Right. Patient still has active periodontitis. Patient has traumatic occlusion. Um, Patient has rampant decay. Uh, Patient has a collapsed bite. Like usually because there's a reason that the tooth was lost, there's generally a reason why we have to worry whether the implant's going to stay around. Right. You know, and so that's kind of why I wrote the, the article. So so let's break this down, this article down. Um, you, you started off by saying you have to know the why. Mm-hmm. Do you find that a lot? Because I'll speak for myself. I find that a lot of general dentists don't really ask the why. They want to repair, but they don't want to ask, how did we get here? Right. Right. They want to place the implant. They know, hey, this, there's an implant that needs to go here. Mm-hmm. Or, or this patient needs a bridge, this patient needs restoration, but what caused the patient to need? And that's, I think, like you, I mean, you basically, you started that, your, your article by saying the why. And I right. honestly think that maybe that should have been a whole little <laughs> article itself because <laughs> right. we, we, we skipped that. And I think as dentists, we've gotten away from that, the, the, the communication aspect of it. Right. Because I think right. once you do that, you'll be able to actually service the patient a lot better. So from your point of view, you know, you, why did you start with the why? Like, how important is that why for you and, and for you to kind of project that to the, um, the reader? Well, it's, it's everything when you think about it. Um, and I can't say I've always been in that mind frame. You know, when I was young and a fresh graduate, you, you get out of school, you have a, a limited amount of, of knowledge and skill set. You're really trying to build your skill set with repetition. So you're just trying to do, 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 right? right. Um, then you start, as you start getting better, you want to start adding stuff. You're doing some of these more advanced, you know, uh, you know, surgical extractions. Now you're going to start adding implants. So you're just so excited that you saw an empty edentulous space. <laughs> That's all you see, right? right? Um, you know, and, and you haven't gone through the period program and, you know, me seeing what the education consists of. Perio teaches you the why or to start looking for the why right away. As a general dentist, when you're taking these, uh, you know, kind of mix and match of, of CE courses, you're learning how to do, okay. right? Okay. Just like if you're doing construction, you're learning how to build a deck, right? but you're not really asking the why of why is the ground like this? Why is the, you know, however you want okay. to form that analogy. Yeah. Especially because I've, Let me take a couple steps back because I've been doing it long enough now that I have had cases and anyone tells you that they don't have failures, it's either not doing enough implants or lying to you. Right. But I have had cases come back and my first response always was, well, why did it fail? And what did I miss the first time? Right. And as through the years of kind of analyzing my own cases coming back, because a lot of these cases aren't going to come back to like five, six years later. Hopefully. And you're like, Yeah, you know, and you're thinking, yeah, right, right. And you start thinking to yourself, and there's a couple cases that came back and in my head, I was like, how did I miss that? Right. You know, what, what, what was my thought process when I did that? And so when I do talk to general dentists now, um, or when we put on our courses, for me, what's really big is doing this comprehensive risk assessment on the entire mouth Mm -hmm. um, before you put in something that you're hoping to be permanent right? Because permanent is a long time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's a very long yeah. time, uh, yeah. you know, especially nowadays where, you know, we're 
obviously we're putting implants in, you know, 20 year olds, right. you know, like it's nothing. So we're, we wanting that implant to last another 50 plus years. Um, and a lot of it is just the why. Do you think that we, and I'll, I'll get back to your article, but do you think that we are over promising because we don't over, you know, we don't say you're going to have your car forever. We right. don't say you're going to have your house forever. But for right. some reason, when it comes to implants, which we use more than we use our car, right? Right. Uh, we, we like to promise it for a very long time. So are we saying that we're overpromising or are we saying that based on research, this is what we should expect? Honestly, it's, it's a large overpromise yeah. from my perspective. And I think what's it's in, in my own personal experience, this is just anecdotal. Okay is that especially when I was coming up in the, the implant continuing education game, a lot of the instructors or the, the, the lecturers would tout these, you know, 0.5% failure rates over their career. Right. And so in your mind, you, you start, oh, okay, well, if I do it right, it should last a lifetime. Right. And we know that with biology, nothing is certain and nothing is permanent um, as, or as much as we'd like it to be. So it's definitely, I don't think it's a malicious overpromise, no. right? Um, but I do think, you know, it, it comes from a lack of experience and from an over, overzealous industry of education where they want you coming back to take more courses. So, of <laughs> right. course, they're going to exaggerate their you know, success rates and outcomes right. and so forth. Because, I mean, uh, orthopedic surgeons don't even do that. Right. They don't, they don't <laughs> sit there and say your hip is going to last you forever. They never do right. that. But for some reason, dentistry seems to be the one that seems to do that. But anyway, uh, let's talk about the difference between peri-implantitis and peri-implant mucositis. Right. Because you broke that down beautifully in your article. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Man. Thank you. Um, you know, it's sometimes it's a game of semantics, right? It's just like the whole thing, like, can you have can you have gingivitis if you have periodontitis, right? The semantics of it say no, but a lot of GPs and laypersons think of any inflammation of the gums as gingivitis, right? Yeah. But you can also have bone loss for that. But, but I, you know, same thing with implants. So in general, um, you know, the peri-implant mucositis is simply inflammation of the soft tissues around the implant. Right. Once you start adding bone loss to that beyond a certain um, degree, then we start calling it peri-implantitis. Um, and so I think the general dental public kind of uses those interchangeably. Um, yeah. you know, and sometimes you don't know because, you know, the bone can remodel in the, in the very beginning after, you know, placing or restoring an implant, you know, over the first year or so. So, you know, I've seen doctors go the other way with it where there's, you know, maybe a millimeter of bone loss and they're calling it peri-implantitis, but that was part of the natural remodeling. Um, but the, the reason I brought that up, and I think in my article, I, I, I have a case where instead of jumping to a surgical fix, the first thing I do anytime I see peri-implantitis or peri-implant mucositis is I teach the patient how to meticulously clean that implant, right? right? Especially here in residency, we get a ton of patients that get referred up to, to, to the grad clinic for peri-implantitis or peri-implant mucositis, uh, assuming that there needs to be a specialist that can take care of this. Right. And literally all we'll do is we'll give the patient interproximal uh, brushes. We'll teach them how to floss properly and, you know, with the proper frequency. Um, and then we'll see them back two weeks later, four weeks later, and boom, everything looks great. 
you know, and if you can do that conservatively and 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 treat the issue, then there you go. Um, but that honestly, it didn't have to be kicked up to us at all. Well, know? I mean, I think people are afraid of implants still. So yep. anytime there's anything out of the norm for implants, GPs or anybody, even prostate will just say, hey, send it back to perio, send it back to the surgeon and let him figure it out. Right. So I think we have to kind of demystify implants. And I don't think implants have been dem- demystified yet. I think anything added to the perfect is always scary. And I yes. think that's why we're doing that, you know. Right. Um, so let's talk about the you, you had um, three risk factors. And this was actually very interesting to me because you broke all three down. But I want you to go ahead and, 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 and show me or at least talk to us about each uh, of the three factors, you know, and, and why you chose these. Because there are so many other risk factors, right? We could talk yes. about occlusal trauma. We could talk about parafunctional. I mean, you know, there's, there's tons of uh, occlusal trauma, parafunctional, the same thing. But, we, you know, there, there's so many other risk factors uh, when it comes to restorative, when it comes to surgical. Right. right? Uh, um, that that could have been put into this, but right. you narrowed it down to three. Right. And, yeah. and I kind of wanted to get an idea of why you narrowed it down to three and, and why you think these three are so important. Multi layers to that. Yeah. So uh, dental talent gives me a word limit and I tend to be pretty loquacious. So I had to pick oh. two to three. OK. But there was a science behind choosing those three. Yep. I figured a lot of even GPs do deal with occlusion to some extent, mm-hmm. right? So why beleaguer a point that, you know, especially if it's a general practitioner reading this, they're like, okay, yeah, we got it. We've been hammered on occlusion, even just for crown and bridge and, and so forth, right? Um, I think diabetes is something that's on the rise yeah. and it's often US. overlooked by GPs as a potential risk factor. Um, Coinciding with periodontitis, um, especially with diabetes, um, if there's a if there's a presence of inflammation, if there's a presence of disease, we're, that means you're putting the implant in a diseased site. You know, and I'm exaggerating here, but the reason I'm exaggerating is because I've seen so many GPs ignore the patient's periodontal condition. Right? right. I whether it's you know clinics that I've worked in or patients that come to me that have clear periodontal disease, you know, five, six millimeter pockets, subgenital calculus, but that they've been on a one a year profi schedule. Okay. Right. And so I really wanted to hammer the point home that you have to look at the periodontal condition. I wanted to choose a very common, more understood um, and, and uh, uh, easy to swallow systemic condition. Right. right. There's a slew of them we could choose, but diabetes, right. I feel like, you Everybody know, knows it. Everybody knows it. Right. Um, and smoking. Yeah. Because, you know, we still have, what is it, a quarter of the population smokes? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is astounding to me that anyone even in this day and age starts smoking. <laughs> like, like if, if you're 50, 60, 70 years old, like, okay, I'll give you a pass because right. they marketed it as, you know, helps with digestion. And you had doctors right. advocating smoking in the 50s, right? Right. But if it's right. 2022 and you're just now starting smoking, like, I really worry about the state of our society, but it's, but it's there. Stress. Everybody's stressed. Um, <laughs> but so it's, yeah, it's break, there. Let's break it down. Let's break it down. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's start with, uh, I like this one, but let's start with smoking since okay. we brought that up. Why does smoking, why is smoking 
such a, a, a harmful thing to do or behavior to pick up or have when right. you want an implant? Well, there's a couple things that you need to happen when you put an implant in, uh-huh. right? You need the bone to heal. Um, you need the soft tissue to heal. And one of the things that, that the nicotine does, you know, and it's metabolites uh, in, a, in any form, whether you're smoking it or taking it as a patch or, or gum, it, is, it affects your fibroblasts and their ability to properly uh, form connections, to form collagen. It also affects your osteoblasts, right? So everything that you need to get a nice successful implant, you're already, you're, you're being counterproductive by smoking. So basically building up your soft tissue, healing your soft tissue, and then healing your bone. The two right. important things that you brought up at the beginning is, again, yeah. is what you're, you're basically cutting off when the whole nicotine aspect of it. You know, it's so right. funny. I have patients that will say, well, but I vape. And I'm like, the nicotine, <laughs> nicotine, you know, right. I chew, I chew the, you know, and, and I, I, I knew um, uh, one of my patients who would chew like five of those uh, gums a day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, my God, man, like, that's a lot, yeah. you know, but again, it's just that hit, that initial nicotine, you know, hit. So, so you're absolutely correct. Uh, the nicotine very, very well, you know, summarized, but the nicotine is the biggest factor. And I think that's what a lot of dentists need to kind of hone in on when they're explaining it, to their patient. They do. And the, the hard thing that we face is that nicotine acts, one of the things that it does is it acts as an antidepressant. Right. So you have a lot of people that, you know, how many patients have you heard that say, well, you know, I usually smoke when I'm stressed out, you know, or after work, I got to have a drink and got to have a smoke. Um, And so being that the happiness index in America is what it is and the stress index is what it is, people are self-medicating, right? Whether it's with alcohol, whether it's with nicotine. And so that's what makes cigarettes so hard or nicotine in general so hard to quit in any form is that it's not just tied to just a physical addiction. It's tied to a whole uh, psychological and emotional addiction too, because it is a coping mechanism for a lot of people. Um, and, and, you know, we'll have patients that, you know, we'll still do the implants in smokers. It's like we do any periodontal surgery in smokers, mm-hmm. but we got to educate them, let them know your results are more than likely going to be less than ideal. Um, if you do, quit smoking a number of weeks prior and stop smoking uh, or, or continue uh, the cessation a couple of weeks afterwards, it does increase your chances because a lot of your physiological functions do return to normal within eight weeks of quitting smoking, but then they'll just start smoking again. Right. And, and we know as, as we've talked about, nothing is forever because the body is constantly remodeling right? Your bone is constantly remodeling. Your soft tissue is constantly remodeling. So yeah, you did what you had to do to get initial integration and success and healing. But that, those cells that are there today are not going to be the same cells that are there 10 years from now. So now you introduce smoking, those cells that you're going to have 10 years from now are going to be less than ideal. You know, And I think that's an important thing we have to hit home. But at the end of the day, all we can do is inform them um, you know, it's not an absolute contraindication to, to providing any treatment. Right. And I always try to explain, I mean, you said it, uh, I always try to explain to patients that, you know, if you have plaque, which is our biggest, I mean, we're fighting plaque all the time. You know, if you fight, if you have plaque biofilm, we know that that's going to cause an issue. And right. if you're not able to heal yourself, if you're not able to fight those issues, uh, uh, bacteria, because you, you're smoking, and that's, 
preventing us from being able to really get in there and, and, and fix the damages that bacteria has caused, then it's just going to continue to get worse. Right. Right. And like you said, you may have initial, you know, healing, excellent healing, but then it's going to progressively get worse as time goes along. Right. And one of my things that I've stolen from one of my faculty members here, uh, Dr. Hokett, is I like to use the line that you have to be an oral hygiene athlete. Right. Okay. So if you're going to continue to smoke, you know, it's just like if, if you are taking uh, blood pressure and cholesterol medications only so you can keep eating McDonald's. <laughs> right. You're not changing anything else. Right. Right. <laughs> right? right. Like if nothing else, if you're going to keep the keep up the smoking, you know, you have to make sure that all the ancillary stuff to that is elite level athlete, yeah. oral hygiene, showing up every three months for your cleanings. You know, if, if, if you're not going to quit smoking. Right. Now, if you're not going to quit smoking and I'm only going to see you every two or three years, then I may not want to do the implant on you. Okay. Right. So there, there's a balance. There's a gray zone. Right. Right. You know? and, and you have to trust that your patients will at least do the minimal enough to give themselves a reasonable chance at long-term success with these implants. Patient selection. So let's yeah. talk about diabetes. Break that mm-hmm. down for us. Why? I mean, like basically what, why diabetes is a, sometimes a contraindication for or uncontrolled diabetes, I should say. Sorry. Right. Well, one of the things that happens when you're, you're chronically hyperglycemic is that it affects a lot of the cells in your body, right? And, and one of the things I didn't mention uh, to smoking, which is the same thing in diabetes, is the effect on the neutrophils, one of your white blood cells, part of, important part of your immune system, right? Um, and so when your immune system is compromised, um, when again, your fibroblasts uh, and your osteoblasts are compromised, we know with diabetes, high blood sugar levels um, lead to uh, end glycosylated, uh, advanced glycosylated end products, right, that attach to proteins and cells and inhibit their function or make them more susceptible to uh, degradation by inflammation. So yeah. you really have so, a- So let me, let me stop you real quick. Yeah. What you said right there might have, right? So basically <laughs> right, right. what he's saying is it, just consistent, continuous inflammation. Your yes. body doesn't like to be in a, in a state of just alert, right? And right. that's basically what you put your body in, a state of alert, flight or flight right. in a way. I mean, this is me kind of simplifying it to a very extreme, yes. not, not as poetic as he put it. But again, <laughs> your body is like, hey, there's a problem. There's a problem. And if your body right. is continuously saying that, sooner or later, you're going to burn out. Right. Right. And, you know, and honestly, and you, you, you've seen it from both ends in both those uh, risk factors, right? Smoking and diabetes. On one end, you're making it so that there's hyperinflammation, okay, to one degree or another. That's right. On the other end, you're uh, decreasing your body's ability to rebound. The smoking. So you got a destructive process here, yep. and you're handicapping your ability to rebuild itself. It. So in the end, it's a net loss that's over right. time. Yeah. Um, and that's why I tell patients, like, you got, you got to choose your poison. Right. If you're not going to give up the bad habit or if you're you're, you're not going to take care, better care of your systemic health, then your game, your oral hygiene game, your compliance game coming in for your, your cleanings every three months has to be on point. Otherwise, I can't you know, I can't give you a, a confident uh, assessment of how long what we're going to do is going to last for you. 
So he's basically being nice by saying, that, "Listen, if you're not going to smoke, if you're going <laughs> to if you're going to continue to smoke, make sure you're in there every three months so that exactly. we can clean you, right? So you got to give up something. You got to give up your time, <laughs> or you got to give up the smoking, right? Right. And 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 this is where it gets back to the general dentist. In all the offices I've ever worked in, it seems like there is an aversion to recommending more frequent cleanings for patients. Yes. Why? Because on a certain level, you're playing the insurance game, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some insurances may or may not co- cover more than one to two cleanings a year. And also you're, is this game of, you know, not wanting to seem like you're money hungry. Okay. And when all these other dentists are saying, oh yeah, we only need to see you once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying, I'm sorry, you know, you really would benefit from, from four times a year. Mm-hmm. The, the, the patient is like, well, wait a minute. You know, why are you giving me four times a year and it's not covered by insurance? I got to pay out of pocket. See, when me and you say it, you know, when you're in a specialist position, there's an assumed expertise where if a specialist is saying, hey, you got referred to me. This is what you got. This is what you need. That's it. It's accepted better. Yeah, true. When the GP says it. And this is where, you know, when I years ago, I was frustrated with a lot of my associates that either wouldn't really pay attention to the periodontal health. Um, and so I tried to build a hygiene centered practice. So I really sat down with my hygienist every month. We talked about strategies, how to die, you know, how we were going to diagnose, how we're going to talk to patients and so forth. Um, and there was resistance hearing that from me or my hygienist, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But I feel like it just in my one year in, in residency, I don't get nearly that much resistance. And the only thing I can as- assume is that, A, it's potentially a more um, a- accepting patient because they already made the trip to me. Mm. So that shows a level of commitment there. Okay. The ones okay. that probably wouldn't have accepted wouldn't They're even bother come. to come. Yeah. Right. Um, and then given that there's this, kind of expectation that, hey, you know, if I have this advanced disease that I had to be referred to somebody, let me listen. That's okay. I really don't have much pushback from anybody, but in the GP world, I got it all the time. And that's actually, uh, you know, I never even thought about it like that, but that's very true, right? Like anytime you go to a specialist, people assume, okay, there's another level that, you know, there's another level there. So whatever they say must be true. Right. Right. If I go to, you know, uh, we'll say the Mercedes Benz, I've never been there, but the Mercedes Benz (laughs) dealership and and I get my car fixed there. You know, I'm assuming that everything they're saying, even though it's at a higher price, is completely correct because they know they specialize in this vehicle versus going to my local, you know, um, auto dealer or or local, you know, repair shop. Right. Right. Um, So, yeah, it, it sucks. It actually does suck because there's a lot of dentists out there that are trying to do the best and for their patient and so patients if you're listening you have to kind of understand and this is when i think asking questions comes into play yes because if you sit down with your dentist and this is also also for you dentist if you sit down and listen not just tell people but listen you may be able to get more out of the patient and the patients you guys got to ask questions don't just sit there and go home and be like oh yeah that dentist trying to rip me off Ask right. questions. Why are we doing this? Is it because right. we just want to see you four times? No, I don't know a single dentist that wants to see their patient four times for the right. fun of it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. We want to see you for a reason. You know what I mean? And right. so, so I think those are the discussions. We need to have more questions being asked and we need to be able to explain our, 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 
our treatment plants or or our logic a lot better. Right. You know, you know but I, I don't know if probably what happened, maybe. What do you think? I, I, th- I think so. And I also feel like the industry doesn't support that. Right. right. One of the luxuries I have in school, although the, it, I'm seeing way less patients per day, I'm seeing them for more time. Yeah. So the level of discussions I'm able to have with That's patients, right. the rapport I'm able to build, the trust, the explanation, um, because, you know, in school, you're seeing one patient, maybe right. two in the morning, right. one patient, maybe two in the That's afternoon in private practice. You're seeing 30 patients a day. Right. Right. And so when you're already you rush in, they've been you know, they've been rushed into the room. They can tell everybody's scrambling. You're talking to them real quick. Right. You know, they they get the sense unless you're in a fee for service office and you've kind of built a slower, right. more patient friendly schedule. Patients know that, hey, they're trying to crank me out. They're trying to make money, not necessarily in a bad way, but it, it's business, right? right. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of adds to the atmosphere of, okay, I see you're trying, you know, this is a factory, mm-hmm. and now you want me to come back more often. I don't know. I'm, I'm putting two and two together, and I just see dollar signs. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. That but uh, again, that that's all conjecture. I mean, no, that's but kinda, but, but yeah. you know, this is why we're here. We're, we're not telling. We're not saying that you know we're one hundred percent correct. But we're saying, hey, this is our opinion. Right, this is our opinion. Um, and then the last one, and I thought, you know, I'm not biased or anything, but I think it's the best one. <laughs> uh, periodontal disease. Uh, right. I, I absolutely love the fact that I get so many patients that come to me with full blown periodontal disease. I'm talking about active five, six, seven millimeter pockets with mobility and, and, and bleeding and, 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 you know, pus and stuff. And the first thing they say to me is, you know, I want to get implants. Right. And I'm like, that's nice. <laughs> you know, that's not good for you. I'm glad, you know, <laughs> but I'm telling you, right. And I tell them, I'm like, straight up, be honest with you. You're probably looking at like two years out before I even feel comfortable placing implants. implant. Cause I got to get that foundation. Correct. So right. break down why peri or uh, implant, disease or you know periodontal disease it's um uh it's such a risk factor for periimplantitis okay well let me paint this in a way that i understood it as a as a gp coming into the game for sure you get two siblings come in right usually it's the boy and the girl the girl brushes seems to do a great job every time she comes in for exam it's not much plaque or calculus but she always has one or two cavities right the brother comes in and it's just a hot mess you could tell he never brushes, never flosses, but never has any cavities, you know. And in the GP world, we've understood that um, it's not just sugar that causes cavities. You have to have the right type of bacteria that are active, right, that are motivated to eat the sugar, create the acid. And so you could actually have a person that does not have a, a good diet, has a high sugar diet, but rarely ever gets cavities because the bacterial that, that the bacteria that's needed to be there isn't there or is lazy, right? It's the same thing with periodontal disease. So someone can systemically just be predisposed to a hyper response to any type of plaque, calculus, foreign material, period, right? Um, and some people are not. But if you know someone has periodontal disease, that's going to tell you that whatever that inflammatory process is that, that is destroying the support of those teeth is going to be there and is going to be all around that implant, right? And so, and that's the biggest thing. If we're talking, if we're wanting to at least be confidently say, hey, you're going to get 10, 20 years out of this implant, 
Um, we want to make sure that we're putting it in a mouth that has the fat, the, like you said, a healthy foundation mm-hmm. where we've at least stabilized the periodontal disease and eliminated as much as possible that chronic inflammation. And the only way to do that is, you know, periodontal therapy, compliance, they're coming in every, you know, three months for their cleanings and they're oral hygiene athletes. They need a gold medal in brushing and flossing and, right. you know, um, because if you know that you're automatically systemically more likely to have inflammation, mm-hmm. you want to make sure you're not feeding that inflammation by not taking care of your, your mouth. And, and you mentioned um, a study with, uh, you know, identical and fraternal twins. Right. And, and you were talking about like their susceptibility based on genetics. Can we, yes. can we just brush up on that? Cause I thought I was really interested and I wanted to brush up on that. Cause a lot of people say, well, you know, my mom and dad or whoever had it. So I have it too. Right. Uh, and then right. other people just blame it on kids, but that's another, right. story, another <laughs> but, when I was pregnant, go, when I was pregnant, right. the baby took all the calcium out right. my teeth. Right. right. And yeah. I'm like, you remember yeah. when you gave birth and you didn't brush for like four days because of, you know, right. being an awesome mom. And, you know, I was talking right. about that. I'm like, you gotta stay in this other fact. You can't keep blaming the kids for everything. Right. Uh, but but let's talk right. about that that genetic component part of it. Well, just like there's a genetic components to a, a lot of you know systemic diseases or autoimmune diseases, the inflammation in the mouth is very similar, right? So, but we've got to put that into perspective. That doesn't mean if your mom lost her teeth, your grandma lost her teeth, and same thing on your father's side that you should just have a defeatist attitude and say, well, you know, I'm not going to invest in my mouth because all my family's got dentures. So I'll probably have dentures too. There's nothing I can do, okay. right? There's absolutely stuff you can do. Is it going to be 100% guarantee fixed or, you know, going to arrest the disease? No, but we can, uh, a while back, you mentioned uh, the, the, the click and talk, the uh, ticking clock, yep. right? On implants. On implants. It's the same thing with the inflammation and periodontal disease. Right. So if we know that you're predisposed to this hyperinflammatory response, we can tailor your treatment so that way we can buy you a lot more years out of your natural teeth, which is what we prefer to have. Right. Um, and also any implant stuff that you're going to have done. But there's 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 often, you know, they say that, you know, the genetic contribution is about 50 percent. Mm-hmm. Right. To anyone's periodontal disease at any time. You know, but the other 50% is within your control, right? How you brush, how you floss, what you eat, how frequently, frequently you go in for your cleanings, um, and then how amenable you are to the evolution of that treatment recommendation that we're going to give you, right? Because we kind of have a standard treatment that we might recommend someone that has a certain presentation, and it might work for 80% of patients. But if we're seeing you regularly and if we're seeing we need to be more aggressive or less aggressive, we can tailor it to you. Um, but you have to be amendable to that, um, you know, and be proactive, especially if you know that you're predisposed. So when I do hear patients say, oh, yeah, my mom was in dentures by 30 and my dad was in dentures. I tell them like, yeah, that's the red. That's the high alarm. That's the red flag. We can still do something for you, but you have to be 100 percent committed. You know, and that might be someone, especially depending on their presentation, you know. I may want to see a certain amount of commitment for, like you said, a year or two before I I am brave enough to put an implant in there. Right. Right. And then I think the 
you know, you, you mentioned that sometimes people just are not candidates, right? Um, right? Because all the factors, I mean, if somebody comes in who is a smoker, has high diabetes, you know, has uncontrolled diabetes and lost like five teeth already due to periodontal disease, guess what? You're probably coming off that implant list big time, yeah. right? You're coming off that implant list big time. Some people will have a solution. Well, we'll just take all your teeth out uh, and then place implants because now we fixed the problem. Well, no, right, right. Well, because... <laughs> Why, why did they have perio? Was it because they had poor oral hygiene? You know, yeah. I, I think, and, and this is me kind of coming off your, your um, uh, getting away from your article because your article is incredible. People really do need to read it. And, and if we you. can, maybe we can add like a, you know, a link to the, in the show notes for people to actually read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I've noticed is oral hygiene, it, it, you cannot substitute for that, right? Implants, having an implant, you have to do more. Having fillings, you have to do more. I tell people, yes. I, I've noticed this, and maybe you, you, you've noticed this too, but whenever people have crowns, those areas are the ones that usually have deeper pockets. Right. And I'm, I'm always telling people that you have to do more when you have crowns because that's not the natural shape of your tooth. We try right. our best, but that's not the natural shape of the tooth. And another thing too is, let's just say you take all the teeth out and you do that you know, tooth in a day. You, 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 you know, that's how we're advertising now, right? right. We're doing tooth in a day. But I, can't, I want a tooth <laughs> in a day like it's you know, Christmas or something. Right. You've made it harder, actually, to keep that area clean because right. it's not, again, you, don't, you can't floss like you normally do. You have to be taught a lot more. And some right. people just get these implants, spend thousands of dollars, and no one teaches them how to, right. keep, how to keep it. So that's right. another factor. And I know if you had more time, you probably would have broken that down and been like, oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And that's one of the things implant. when you're when you're talking about, uh, you know, assessing risk, it's you look just like with the, the insurance companies. Right. The longer your your accident rap sheet is right, the more your premium is going to be. We have to assess it the same way. Not that we're charging them more, but as far as our decision, whether to even place them. Right. If someone can't commit to at least changing their behavior to take care of their existing teeth, right. I'm not going to want to put implants in, right? Um, because like you said, especially if you go even to a, to a you know, all on X prosthesis, mm-hmm. cleaning that is substantially hard. Oh, and you, you've seen, you know, I don't know how many uh, prosthodontists you work with. You've seen the evolution of the design of these prostheses from they used to have flanges mm-hmm. to kind of give a more aesthetic Make appeal real. Yep. but you can't clean them underneath and you got these processes that are being taken out to be cleaned and they're full of bacteria and fungi yep. you know and inflammation and, you know you're losing bone around your implants so now you have more uh hygienic designs mm-hmm. that sometimes you're sacrificing aesthetics right but you realize that well do you want uh compromising aesthetics but you can have this for 10 15 years longer you know or do you want me to do you know, the old design and in five or six years, we're pulling some of these implants out. Right. Uh, It's a battle, man. It's a battle. um, But I think one thing that you have to do is have respect for implants. I I, I personally, and this is just speaking for myself, I feel like everybody's gotten very implant happy right? without the proper fear for implants. And I'm not saying don't do implants because they're scary. I'm just saying have the respect for implants because you realize that you are doing something that is not 100% natural, right? We're not, right. you know, we're, you know, we're placing, we were trying to replace a tooth, a tooth that had fibers around it so it could take shock, 
implants right. don't have fibers they don't take shock a uh, tooth right. that was able to be you know uh, more malleable we've right. eliminated that you know so grinding people that grind people that maybe aren't the best at brushing and flossing a, a right. natural tooth could kind of you know give you a little gray area implants right. is a lot very it's very close to all or nothing in a way you know it it really is and that's why i developed over the last few years as i've been doing some traveling implant work uh, a referral form that the docs I work with uh, will fill out and their staff will email to me before I even get in there. And it has questions like what medications are they taking? Is there any systemic conditions? You know, is there recent charting? What type of, you know, periodontal diagnosis or, or frequency of cleaning they're getting? Because at least I want the general dentist to start thinking along those lines, right? Before they even kick up the patient to the next level. Right. And I, I usually have extensive conversations with them and tell them what to look for and why. And I wish someone had done that with me because literally when I was learning, it was the scope of the education began at the mesial or the distal of the front tooth to the mesial of the tooth behind the edentulous space. Mm -hmm. And that was it. That's all we were learning about was that, you know, and I think that empty space. (laughs) Yeah. And that does such a huge disservice, not only to patients, but also to the, the provider whose responsibility is to look out for these patients. That's awesome. Well, yeah. you know, let's, let's, and I know you're a busy man and I, I definitely <laughs> could sit here and talk, you know, uh, as everybody knows, I can talk dentistry all day, but you know, uh, I, I, I think your article is very well summed. I mean, sums up very, very complex situation, right? right. I think that's what we kind of have to acknowledge that you pretty much summed up multiple research and kind of said here, let me just give you the, 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 you know, the cliff note version right. of everything, right? And that's what exactly right. what you're doing. But I do believe that anybody that's listening, anybody's going to read the article, I think you need to kind of expand on that and just say, okay, well, why does nicotine cause this? And why? The, right. So knowing the why again, I think will help you to be a better clinician, period. Yes. Right. So I think that's what we need to start doing. We need to become yeah. better clinicians by learning <laughs> the why. I think right. that should be the title. <laughs> Right. Learn the why. That's your next. Uh, that's your next article, man. Learn the why, and then we'll go off of that. You know exactly. You know, and and honestly, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that statement. And really, one of the the, the overlying um, themes of all my articles is I I have been and always will be a, a general practitioner at heart, and I know the struggle of what it's like to be trying to piece together all these bits of information you're getting as you're trying to expand your skill set. Um, and I'm really trying to build small articles and small curriculums that really help the general dentist have a greater understanding of the specialty work that they're diving into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, if, if I can do that, that I think over the next 10, 20 years, as I'm trying to pursue my academic career, that'll, that'll be what I'll rest my, my hat on is the fact that I really contributed to the the breadth of knowledge for the general practitioner, you know, as implants kind of become the future of a lot of dentistry. Right, right. I'm gonna leave you there. I'm gonna leave you there. I I, I felt like that was the perfect way to end this. I'm gonna end it. Yes, sir. Uh, Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Horton, for coming back on. Honestly, oh, you know, you are you're definitely like a, a you know an honorary guest. Anytime you want to come on, I love more it. More than happy to come back on. But I love thank it. you again for for writing this article. I'm definitely going to add it to the show notes so people can go ahead and read it or oh, just listen you. to this podcast, whichever one works for everybody. Right you there, you go. I mean? <laughs> so we'll put that up there and we'll go from there. But I thank you, sir. I appreciate you as always, man. Enjoy your thank night. You.
Take care of yourself. Take care. All right, brother. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tooth Be Told. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at realdentist with an S at gmail.com. That's realdentist, R-E-A-L, dentist with an S at gmail.com. Remember, the opinions in this podcast are just that. Our professional opinions. The final decision about your health should be made by you and a trusted dental professional.